You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Audition side job, swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Hey everybody, Rory O'Malley here. Welcome to Living the Dream. Hope you had a great week. I did. It's my last week at home, being a homebody with the hubby. Uh, So I enjoyed as much of it as I could. Uh, I am headed to Cleveland today to see family before I head back to New York to rehearse for a week with the new cast going out on tour. Uh, I am so excited slash scared. I can't really describe this feeling because I've never been in this situation before, but to do a part, you know, that I've done hundreds and hundreds of times with a completely brand new cast, and they've been rehearsing together for five weeks. So I met them on the first day, they didn't know the show, and now they're probably all amazing and know every single part about it, and I'm the new guy. Um, So hopefully they don't hate me. You know, that's just what's the the tape that's rolling in my head over and over again. Um, But I, I mean, I know that they're not going to hate me. But, you know, it's scary to walk into a new cast, a new job just in general even if it's not new completely it's certainly something that i i know what it is and it has been nothing but amazing for the last year so but uh nevertheless i am anxious about it because that's what i do i get a little anxious about things even when i don't need to be um but i'm really looking forward to going home and then being in new york for a week and then heading to San Francisco, a city that I don't know, but uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It, it, I've, I've been there like once or twice, but I've never really gotten to spend a good chunk of time there. So it's it's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and I will be continuing the podcast uh, somehow. I don't know. I'll be hopefully talking to cast members and and, you know, finding other ways to have communication with people. Uh yeah, it's, it, this will continue, uh, which is something that people have been asking me about while I'm gone. Um, so my guest this week is Angela Lynn, who is one of my closest friends. Uh, we went to college together. We met each other when we were 18. She was in the same class as me, Josh Gad, Leslie Odom, Katie Mixon. Um, there was about uh, 20 of us. <clears throat> and she is like a sensational actress. Truly, truly phenomenal. Uh, you can ask anybody in in our class. We've everyone was always in awe of, of her work, and and she is uh, she's incredible. She's had a really great career. She's done Broadway shows. She was in Quorum Boy, in Chinglish, uh, Top Girls, and she also has done a ton of television: Blue Bloods, Law and Order SVU. Uh, NCIS New Orleans, um, and of course my husband's favorite, Grace. She was on a Grace, so she's a way, way more accomplished actress than I will ever be. Uh, I, I'm, he says I'm not. I haven't done anything, and I haven't impressed him until I've been on Grace Anatomy. So there you have it. Angela is a real actress. I'm not. Um, but she is not just accomplished. She's also just very honest. We've had this kind of a conversation that we're that we had for the podcast. We've had it many times over the years. And when you go through the business, you kind of rely on certain actors to be honest with you and to and to kind of share in the ecstasy and agony of what this business is. And she has been one of those people for me and uh you know, we've we've been a support system for each other. So this is a good conversation. She's also Asian. She was, uh, she grew up in Singapore and moved here. I think she talks about. It, I think in she said in 1989. Um, so she has a very unique experience. But her take on being an Asian woman in this business is so important, and I learned a lot from listening to her talk about it. Uh, so I hope you enjoy my conversation with Angela Lin. Hi, Angela Lin. Hello, Rory O'Malley. My good friend, my college pal. <laughs> um, Your college neighbor. Yeah. For, for yeah, for three years. For only a year. 
I was Katie Mixon's roommate for a year. Oh, wait, and, and then, then I, where did you go? I went around the corner. Remember to Ellsworth? Where that guy oh, hanged himself in the okay. in the It was me, Josh I Gad, and Damon Robertson. What? And we walked in to look at my apartment. And literally, we walked in and Josh was like, smells like somebody died. And we found out a week later that somebody had hung himself in the apartment two, <laughs> two doors down from the one two that I took. Two doors down. Wow. Yep. Wow. So many wonderful, beautiful memories from college. I'm so glad we can talk about them. Way too many. Today. Oh, wow. That's a way to start off the podcast. Lots of people died in college. Let's not forget. Um, We have to, I want to first talk about, we're going to get into like your, your story, I think is so interesting of just Oh, that's from so the get go. I think your story is so interesting. No, nobody cares about my story. <laughs> they no, no. We're talking about yours. But um, what I w- wanted to talk to you about first is audiobooks because yes. I just did my first audiobook. You didn't know Congratulations. this. Congratulations. Thank you. But I thought of you because I know you've done a lot of audiobooks. Yeah. And I was really nervous. Um, and it was how to survive a plague. The the story of. AIDS. It was oh, so overwhelming, goodness. and it, uh, by David France, and it was it beautifully done, beautifully written, almost seven hundred pages. <laughs> <laughs> it was my first <laughs> audiobook, <laughs> and and literally halfway through, the producer said, "Please don't quit now. If, <laughs> if you quit now, and I didn't, I had no signs of quitting. I was like, this is amazing, this book, but." Yeah. Like, because it was my first, I didn't know any better, but we were recording for like 70 or 80 hours yeah. for over a month. Over a month? Because I was oh, doing eight shows a week. Book. Oh, it's your first, yeah, yeah. I was only able to do like once Hamilton. or twice a week and I would do like eight hours. So I couldn't do Well, like you could full... only record for eight hours, right? You yeah. were, they were wanted you to record for more than eight hours? No, no. I just mean like eight hours twice a week. Oh, you know, so it was spread out over once. I think I did three times in a week, but it, you know, I didn't miss any shows. Congratulations for doing that long of a session on your first book. My first book, I was like, let's do four hour chunks. Yeah. Couldn't get through it. But now it's a lot. Oh, it's, it's, it's a totally different beast. Yes. But what I wanted, because we were talking about microphones and you're like, oh, this is like an an audio book. Yeah. But. (laughs) <laughs> they kept stopping me saying um we had a little stomach we had some yes, stomach totally. there i'm like what so i usually stomach. put like a a, a, a pillow over yeah. my stomach oh they had stop. three pillows oh, yeah. in there and they were like oh, oh yeah. just put the pillow over yeah. your stomach i was like is this normal I thought, like, my stomach is a beast. <laughs> it's coming at the microphone. They were like, we're going to have to go back for stomach. Oh, we oh had some stomach gosh. there. Stomach. Oh, every, yeah. every other oh, minute. Yeah. Didn't they have, like, a craft service area where you could, like, feed yourself? They gave, yeah, but, you know, I, I need a lot of food. <laughs> and then it would be after lunch and my stomach would be digesting. Oh, yes, yes. A, Whenever a, you have, like, anything carbonated, you just, like, burp yes. in the middle of a sentence. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. God, it, it was it was funny because it wasn't really about I, I expected like to have to stop and start because I wasn't getting the sentence right or I didn't get the word sure. right but stomach sounds and how that's a hot mic yeah that's and even um mic. sometimes when yeah. it's too, when mouth mouth like the noises in the mouth because it's getting too dry exactly yeah. and they like, like eat an apple take, take some water oh take or some water. tea yeah they always they have like eat a, an apple oh my god yeah Apparently the 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 acidity or something takes away like all that stuff and just cleans it out for a oh, while. Oh, see now these are the secrets that I needed. <laughs> this is what I should have called you immediately because I knew you've done a whole. Hey, post of Telly Leung called me and he won an award apparently for his first audiobook. Are you serious? <laughs> I'm not taking credit for that at all, but he hey, did. Isn't that great? That is amazing. Yeah, he won an award, an audiobook award. Wow, I'm gonna win an award for best stomach sounds. <laughs> For best ulcer or whatever was going on <laughs> down there. Um, Can't wait to hear it though. Is it out? Yeah, yeah, oh. it's on. <gasps> on it's Audible? On. Can I get on an Audible? Yeah, yeah. yeah. How to okay. Survive a Plague? It's I'll look it's you a. Up. It's First, a... when you said that title, I thought zombies. Oh yeah. So then I you know. got real serious, and I was like, oh. Yeah. No, no. It's it's about it's basically a personal historical retelling of the story of the AIDS crisis in the eighties. Oof. It's. 
so overwhelming, I'm beautiful. Sure. And yeah, there were there were some moments where I had to be like, I need a break mm. of the section we just read. It was just it's a lot. Wow. But it was a wonderful yeah. experience professionally. Like I I was like, wow, this is a whole other world of yeah. work that I didn't even know about. Yeah. So. It was great. They but let's, let's I just wanted to bring that up because I, I knew you know about the stomach sounds and you've already made me feel better. This is why I do this podcast is to make me feel better about myself. And so your choices and yeah, your stomach. Exactly. And my stomach. Um uh-huh. so you how did we we met each other at Carnegie Mellon yes. freshman year. Yes. You We most, auditioned for musical theater together. That's remember? right. I remember. I remember With you got it and I didn't. Doug and Danny Bernardi. Yes, that was yes, the four of us. Yeah. I remember that. So, how did you get to Carnegie Mellon? I want to know your story of how you got there. You know, I think that um, how you got to this country as could. well. So I want to, don't don't just tell me like I immigrated in '89 from Singapore. Right. We're not starting over there. Um, That's fine. <laughs> but I remember growing up, uh, Mingna Wen was like kind of like the Asian actress mm-hmm. that was. She was in Joy Luck Club Joy Luck and all Club, that stuff, right. and she graduated from Carnegie Mellon. Right. So that's the first time it came on my radar that you could actually get a degree in acting. Right. And my parents forced me to apply for pre-med schools as well as um, drama schools. <laughs> and they said that they would only let me go to drama school if I got into Carnegie Mellon because of Mingna Wen. Wow. Yeah. So, and I, I, because I was like busy trying to get my straight A's and all that stuff, I couldn't come visit the schools. So I actually... Got accepted to CAP 21 mm-hmm. in at NYU. I don't think it exists. It, it doesn't exist anymore, right? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's gone now. Oh, RIP CAP 21. Yeah, what? Rest in peace. Oh, <laughs> I was like, is that another program? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. That's one of the more obscure, like, you know, They have dark so many colleges at NYU. RIP. <laughs> But that, and then Carnegie Mellon, I accepted both, and I went to Carnegie first because it started a month earlier. Mm-hmm. I was like, if I hate it, then I'll just go to CAP. And yeah. I didn't. But NYU still thought I was a student for, like, the next three years and kept sending me stuff. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, they don't keep tabs very well there. Wow. Um, but you get to Carnegie Mellon, and, you know, you clearly had the ambition. Your parents wanted you to go to medical school. Yeah. Did you? Did you have any... I did. I mean, I grew up thinking that um, I think good little Asian girls went to either become lawyers or doctors, you know, that was kind of, I don't know, the only options in my world. Right. And it wasn't until middle school, I think with everything going on in my life, and I, my parents put me in, we immigrated here, and I was so shy that my parents put me in a theater camp to sort of get me out of my shell mm-hmm. and it it clicked something clicked and I think it was because it was the first time that people were telling me that I was good at something and because you know Asian families they don't ever praise you mm-hmm. they just tell you what you're doing wrong <laughs> all the time <laughs> and so I think that and then it, it I realized in middle school it helped me get through just the emotional like tough stuff that I was going through in life and theater really healed me that way because it it helped me step into other people's shoes where you could just like realize that you're not so alone and in these plays like people go through like way worse stuff than you're going through in life and so it helps you I don't know it helps you feel more connected right and so it kind of saved me really yeah I, I, I think that if I had not immigrated to America I probably wouldn't have discovered this like outlet for all the feelings that I was feeling you know mm-hmm. But, right. Yeah. So you immediately gravitated to theater, but what? And so you knew that it had to be what you wanted to do for a living, and you you see, like Carnegie Mellon is this great. I think part of it was because my. I think I am very motivated. Motivated when my parents tell me. That I'm not good at something. <laughs> and I had all these people telling me I was good at something. And my, my dad was like, you're okay. And right. so I really d- dived into like going to ACT in San Francisco when I was a kid. The youth conservatory there. I just poured more and more into it. And the more I did, the more I fell in love with these writers and like poetry. And just it, it, 
it resonated with who I was. Right. And so I think maybe in the beginning I became an actor. I thought I had to be one only to prove my parents wrong in a way. Mm. Or say that like I can do it. It it can happen. And a lot of people, not just my parents. It, it was like my it was even classmates' parents who were writers in LA would tell me, well, you know, we writers only write for what we know. And there aren't very many Asian writers out there. Wow. You an had adult. an adult it tell like, you that they don't write a lot for Asians. Asians, because there weren't Asian writers. And that and that they only write for what they know. And what's funny was he had written a show about his life, but they ended up casting actually African-American actors in that TV show. And I was like, that's interesting that you're saying this to me. Mm. <laughs> But it was another challenge. Like there were people who were always coming up. Like you'd think that, you know, it'd be over. But there are all people saying like, well, there aren't very many Asians out there. <laughs> yeah. Out there meaning in... In the business. In the business. Yeah. But then you come into the business and you realize there's actually a lot of Asians out there. It's the whole debate that happens, that happens every year. The Oscars come up. It's like, where are all the colored people? It's mm -hmm. like, yeah, there are Asians out there. It's just that there are no stories being told. And, and um, I don't know. I don't necessarily blame the industry for it in a way. I feel like, um, I feel like they're at fault somewhat, but also it's like, maybe we do have to take the stand to like stand up and represent ourselves and and follow sort of how african-american actors have paved their way and how much they fought for their own voice and they fight for their stories and they are producers and you know and it's like hey we can do that too there are asian producers and directors out there you yeah. know that have the power to do that and i think a lot of them are becoming more and more vocal which is right. great like justin lin is a huge proponent for Asian American work and I think that's great right it's beginning it's beginning yeah I think yeah. that it's definitely I feel like there's been a shift and an awareness in the last decade yes that oh my god I mean really just like when we were kids the fact that there were a lot of white people playing Asians still yeah on Broadway or Oof. you know like it's we don't have to get into it yeah, you know but totally but that was acceptable in a way that it's not acceptable now not that it doesn't mm -hmm. happen mm -hmm. still happens still happens scarlett johansson's movie's coming out <laughs> no which one's that i don't know i try to block it out okay. there's something where the whole thing is based in china i mean based in japan uh -huh. it's like from a japanese movie or novel or something i mean they made her look japanese everybody else is japanese and she's they made her look japanese as in she has a bob cut that's black hair mm -hmm. just black hair bob cut very like anime asian-esque uh -huh. But then she's white. Right. Yeah. And there was a big uproar about that. And, you know, what saddens me is these poor actors that, like, get, <laughs> you know, they, they kind of get thrown under the bus about it. It's hard for me because it's like I, I this whole, the whole race conversation, like, I get it. I, I'm, I feel like I'm trying to get into a place in my life, in my career where I don't, where I try not to be so negative about the whole thing. Otherwise, mm -hmm. and, but I am honestly grateful for the people who are, who are raising a stink. I'm, you know, cowardly, I guess, not strong enough to do that because I feel like if I get into that negativity, I know this is what happens to me, is that it's very easy for me to just be like, why am I in this business? Like, why am I doing this anyways? And so I'm very grateful for the actors that don't have that and like are just wanting to fight back and wanting to keep in this business to have a voice of it. And I'm just grateful for them because they are definitely paving the way for all of us. And I hope to maybe find that in the future, but I don't know, maybe I'm just not. Because <laughs> I feel like a lot of people have a lot of things to complain about when it comes to this business. Like not just Asian American actresses, a lot of my um, white actress friends are also saying that, you know, a lot of their parts are, especially character actor friends, are taken by minorities now. and Or they, it's hard for them to compete because they're competing against, you know, famous people's daughters and, like, people who are already kind of in that Hollywood world. And, yeah, like, we all have competition. We're all trying to get in the door. We're all right. trying to find our voice. And 
you can either say like, well, this is the reason why I'm not making it or that and that and then give yourself so many excuses instead of just like, you know, figuring out what it is you want to say and doing it. Right. And I've we've had this conversation a lot yeah. where it's just like, man, like, what is it that I want to be as an actor? Because so much of my 20s was I'm given a script and I do it. Mm. I'm giving um, very blessed to been able to. I guess, have work. And so you kind of get in this this flow of, oh, I don't really have to work to find a job or work to find my place in this. Mm -hmm. But then when I came to L.A., it was like all of a sudden I was like, I really had to start all over again. Right. And I really had to reevaluate, like, what is my path? What am I here to say? Am I here to say anything at all? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but instead of just being like a pawn in somebody else's thing. Right. I, because in L.A., Matt Damon, I went to a screening of um, The Martian, and he said a wonderful thing there where he said, Hollywood doesn't want you. It just doesn't. And you have to, the reason why he wrote Good Will Hunting was because he was like, well, this is, this is what I want Hollywood to know about me. But otherwise, he was always like the runner up to, you know, to right. Ed Norton, to this, that, or whatever. And it's just, he was never the guy and he decided, whatever, if Hollywood doesn't want me, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot for myself. Right. For myself. And I was like, oh, I love that. Well, I mean, that is, yeah, I, I think that what you said is really helpful because I think everyone kind of goes through that struggle. There are tons of reasons why this business is hard. Oof. Endless. We could, Endless. And, you know, just list them all day long. Mm -hmm. And we do. But, um. <laughs> I think that, you know, acknowledging the fact that being an Asian in this business makes it harder for you to get work yeah. is not the same, which is true, mm -hmm. which is a truth. Mm -hmm. It's not the same as like complaining and saying, you know, like, that's not why things aren't working out for me. It's mm -hmm. just, a, a, it's a truth that you have to acknowledge and step mm -hmm. through. Just the same as like the fact that I'm gay, that I'm an openly gay man means that 95% of the parts that I'm auditioning for are for gay men. Yeah. So yeah. it, which is fine. I, I've always loved seeing new gay characters. The fact that like mm -hmm. most of them are kind of the same person, you know, it's it, that mm -hmm. that's not great, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I think that it's all about being able to acknowledge that the business isn't perfect, that art isn't perfect, yeah. that the stories aren't always perfect, but yeah. that we're all trying to, be heard and tell the story of the person that we are. Mm, mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, you start, uh, you start in this business trying to figure out how to be something that will be uh, valuable to somebody else, mm. be valuable to somebody else's story, somebody else's project. And the more time that you're in the business, you realize your value comes from knowing who you are and what story you have to tell. Mm, yeah. But it's hard to, it's that's hard, so that, that's hard to walk into an audition and say, I don't really care <laughs> if I'm, if, if you don't think that I'm right for what yeah. your project is, I know what story I need to tell as yeah. a human being and as an artist yeah. when you need to pay the rent that month. Yeah. Cause that, cause you know, your story then is I need to pay the rent. Yeah. I need to, I need to, uh, <laughs> stay afloat. Yeah. So it's hard. It's That's hard. So funny because I was just thinking yesterday that um, I'm very grateful for coming out to LA, even though it's it's been, you know, ups and downs, mm -hmm. and and because LA really was the place where I discovered worth, I think, mm -hmm. I'm, or am discovering worth right. more than I ever did in New York. What does that mean? I think in New York, I had gotten to a place where it was pretty comfortable. Like, um, you know, people knew me. I was doing, always felt like I was working, even if it was like a reading or a workshop here, it was like constant. Right. And you also are in this community of actors where you're immersed in this, this, this business. You're immersed in, oh, who's auditioning for what? Who got what? Oh, let me go support my friend in this play and that. And it's a great, amazing, like life-giving community. Mm -hmm. But when I came out here, that community is definitely 
um, <laughs> spread out. Well, yeah. It's just not... I think um, film life doesn't create the sort of communities that theater life uh, communi- uh, sure. you know, creates. But out here, I discovered the other part of who I am or the bigger part of who I am, that it's not just, you're not just an actor. You're not just like your audition, your resume, what did you book, you know, who your friends are and all that stuff. It's It was so much more. I mean, here is where I found my husband Mm -hmm. and here is where I really found more of like who I am and what I want to be outside of an actor um a friend once told uh, said to me recently that he was so afraid of coming to Italy and I was like why I think that it um LA actually because of all the I guess stereotypes of what it is that it's all superficial it's all about looks and da 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 that you, it almost forces you to rise above all that and find that place that's greater than right. the looks and the auditions mm-hmm. and the parties. Well, know? and you have to work harder out in Los Angeles. You, you just to, I mean, in terms yeah. of meeting people, oh, uh, in terms yeah. of walking out on the street and and having human interaction in New York, you walk out on the street, you, you meet Bump a thousand people, people you, know, yeah. you see everyone you went to high school with yes, in an instant. Exactly. It's, it's, uh, it's like constantly being in a party, in a yeah. blender of all these interesting people and situations. Yeah. Whereas in LA, it's so spread out that you really have to work hard to yeah. connect with other human beings, yeah. let alone people in the industry. Yeah. Um, but what, so you had such success in New York City, you were on Broadway several times. Uh, what made you decide to give LA a chance? I think, um, it, I think I had at that point in New York had like hit this like ceiling where I just knew that it'd be really hard for me to get a lead on Broadway unless I was Lucy Liu. And because I, I do plays, I don't do musicals. I think feel like in musical world, it's an easier door if you have incredible talent that you can get a lead on Broadway. Um, but it, that's how I kind of felt there. And I think also personal life stuff that I was going through, I was ready for something to change. And my manager um, at that t- uh, back then, mm. Joan Sittenfield, um, had come to I think meet with me, and she was the one that said, "Why don't we give pilot season a shot?" And I did. And like the first audition I went on, I tested for this pilot, and I was like, "Oh," <laughs> because LA I thought would never want me. I didn't think I was. I don't know. I did. I just it intimidated me because of the aspect of how look oriented it is. And before I got to LA, I was like, "All right, well, you know what the game, you know what the rules are. It is look oriented. You just have to play the game, and it play by their rules because they're setting it right now, and you have to be okay with that. Otherwise, you're not going to be happy." Mm-hmm. So because of that, and even though I didn't get that pilot, and it was definitely another roller coaster ride of a pilot season. Um, it it felt right like this the city felt right and I met up with a friend who had just moved there from New York and she said don't move here for the jobs move here if this is where you want you see your future and your life right and I thought that was the best advice because the jobs come and go there are times where you're booking like crazy and then there's like months where you're like does anybody remember me or want to work with me and um I realized that I love life here more than New York. I love the sun. I love going to the ocean whenever I want. Hikes are around the corner. Like you can drive anywhere. The topography is amazing. You just, it's closer to my family. That was a big one because my parents are getting older and it's just like, I want to. You're, you're, you're from San Jose. San Jose. Yeah. Yeah. And my brother was having a kid at that time. I was like, this is perfect timing. Like I want to start directing I think maybe there was a little part of me that wanted to focus on what my entire life was and not just my career right you know and I think I was ready for to find love too and I just was feeling like New York was just not it <laughs> I was like, it's too much so and that that certainly paid off you yeah just got married I did like a week and two days ago yeah 
Yeah, like I feel like you're just coming back to life probably. You're yeah. probably just yeah. got enough sleep after. I got my Hawaii tan. Yeah, you've got the post-wedding glow. <laughs> exactly. No, I mean, and that, but that's that's a huge deal. Yeah. You, and I mean, obviously, getting married is a huge deal. But I'm what I'm saying is, is that knowing that you needed to make a change, personally, mm-hmm. that that was something that was going to be more important than something professionally, even. Oh yeah. A diff, different. Uh, atmosphere and let yourself be open to something personally i think that that takes a lot more courage than we realize Hmm. when you invest so much into your career that is so good you just said that because there was there's i've also been having conversations about how we put we we don't for we forget to put worth in things like your personal life Right. Like we think that, oh, the only things that are is Instagram worthy or worthy to talk about when people say, how, what are you doing? How, right. how are you? It's like, oh, well, I'm working on this and like, you know, da, 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 I'm going to this audition. And you forget that the time spent, because I think I, I called you during this time where when I started dating Tony, my now husband, I literally didn't work for like a year mm-hmm. i booked a couple of things but they had fallen through or right. like somewhat but it was like i just didn't work for a little over a year and it was the hardest after being what i can i guess is a working actor for like 10 years right. and then or 12 whatever all of a sudden like not booking anything and feeling like you're aging as a woman and all these things it was horrifying but i realized during that time that I grew so close to Tony in a way that I couldn't have if I was like on cloud nine all day, work was going great. Cause he saw me in my darkest. He saw me when I was my ugliest and he loved me through it. And I could see what a beautiful relationship we could have because he was so incredible during that time that I forget to that that's worth something. That right. wasn't like, oh, I was unemployed and that was like this dark, this whatever, a year of my life that I'd like to forget. It's like, no, that was the most beautiful, enriching part of my my relationship life. That is worth just as much so as much value. That, yeah, it has so much value. And we forget to put value in all of these things that don't bring us money or bring us, you know, some sort of fame or whatever. That... Uh, it, it's it's been a really nice learning year, I would say. Yeah. Like ever since all that stuff happened. Well, and I think that when you start to open yourself up to those things and you're like, you know what? Maybe my career isn't giving me all this, this work right now, but I'm opening myself up to being a human being mm. who can fall in love and have all these mm. things. The work will come back. You'll be in work again. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it doesn't have the desperate crust around Mm -hmm. it it is just there it's just a job it's just your passion because what's really important is that you've opened up your personal life and that you have someone involved and that's funny we're talking on valentine's day yes we are (laughs) talking about love happy valentine's day Day. we've we've spent many a valentine's day without valentine's angela (laughs) so that's kind of (laughs) nice Every year in college, I think. Oh, yeah. Right? And then too. years after, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I was, I think that what you just said is like opening yourself up to love. Like, people don't realize, I, the more I live life, the more I realize how majority of us have not opened us, ourselves up to love, have mm-hmm. not, or are still like hit that fear, hit that whatever that stops us from loving. Or we, don't think we're worthy of the greatest love so we settle for lesser love or love that's abusive or whatever and it's like that actually is worth a lot of Mm -hmm. stuff and it's not i don't know it's not um i I hear so many people put their relationships aside for their careers or whatever it's that that quote from devil wears prada Remember, what is it? It's like, oh, your career is going great. Must be time for a divorce or something like that. Right. <laughs> or opposite. I don't, I don't know, know if what my husband is. was here. He didn't know it right away. <laughs> and he's already sending me the divorce papers for not knowing. <laughs> but that's that's what I, I don't... I hope that that's not a real thing. I hope that, that, that people don't 
you know, throw away one and that they find value in both things like that. Because I think yeah. love will carry you a lot farther than your career ever will. Absolutely. Enjoy. Well, I think that it's it's just because you have to give so much of yourself, especially early on, mm-hmm. that you want all of that time, energy, effort, heartache, perseverance to pay off. Yeah. And so it's hard to say, okay, you know what? I know this isn't exactly what I want it to be today, but that's okay. I'm going to have to invest all of this energy and time into another human being, into mm. a person, into a relationship, mm-hmm. into a, a different career, volunteering, doing something else. It's always hard to kind of yeah. take your eye off the prize for a moment yeah. because you've given so much of yourself over to it. But yeah. as soon as you do, all of a sudden your career stuff becomes so much more oh enriched. And, yeah. and I think as actors... We are people who, the reason hopefully that you get into it is not for the fame and fortune. It's for the, that sort of human interaction that happens when you, when you tell a story that affects somebody out there. Mm-hmm. You have this universal, you know, you have a connection with that person. And you can find that connection in other ways that, you know, isn't always career, 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 like booking a job, booking a job. Like you can find that by, like you said, volunteering and giving yourself to somebody, having that like beautiful moment or mm-hmm. whatnot. I think that there are more ways to find joy while doing what you love. Right. Yeah. So that it doesn't destroy you. Yeah. And also like for you personally, faith is a big part of Huge. who you are. Yeah. And so it, I think that um, that's a part of our business that isn't really explored as an option mm-hmm. that you know like that you know certainly there's a lot of spirituality in certain ways but you have a pretty sure. specific faith so could you just talk a little bit about yeah. what that gives you in in, yeah. in the business and in life i mean i'm christian and i i definitely it's interesting that yeah it, it's i i actually find that as a christian i find a lot of christians actually do exist in the business mm-hmm. They just don't sound like the Christians that are thrown in the media, which right. are the the you know right wing you know extreme or not extremist, but you know what I mean. <laughs> your eyes right now. <laughs> I mean, right now, that's what mm-hmm. it feels like. But um, but I found that some of my closest friends, like um, Uzo Aduba, we mm-hmm. met doing Corn Boy, um, uh, years ago, and we really bonded because of our faith because we would pray before every show and. I think that in every cast there is that of that that faith, and I always say that I probably wouldn't have the faith that I have now if I were if I was not an actor, because I I feel like I personally don't know how you survive without faith in this business in some mm. form. Sure. Because, uh, you know, we, we actually talked about this a little bit when we went back and talked to the Carnegie Mellon kids, right? Uh-huh. How, like, everybody will glom onto something to survive in this business because it's that hard. Mm-hmm. And I talked about finding um, something positive, which for me was, like, faith. And it's not easy. It doesn't mean, like, the minute you know Jesus that, like, oh, you're going to have all these jobs come to you and everything let me great. It's not, it wasn't that. It actually was like a, a relationship building, like conversation of honestly knowing that at the end of the day, that God, the universe has a really good plan for you and does love you. And it may not be what you thought it was going to be, but if you choose to relinquish what you think is the best for yourself, and just surrender and be open to what God has for you, mm-hmm. you will find so much more fulfillment and joy and take being, you will see that the universe does take care of you. Mm-hmm. It does in every way. And it also helps you figure out when you're going through tough times that it's not going to be the end of the world. Right. That it's not the end of who you are. And the and I don't know, for me, it's, it's my daily conversation that gets me through. Even if it doesn't get me through, it's at least somebody I can yell at. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I think that I think that um, it's different for everyone. It's exactly. always a personal thing, but totally. I do think you know. I was raised. I was raised Catholic. I had a very strong faith growing up, and then mm-hmm. the rug was kind of pulled out from under it when I realized yeah. I was gay, and yeah. I had to build that spirituality or that faith 
whatever it was by myself. And I feel like I've been able to do that. And you're right. The business really forces you to have faith in something. Something. Because you got to, if you're going to decide to keep going, Mm -hmm. you got to reach deep. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, it's faith in in yourself. But at the end of the day, it's got to be something bigger than yourself. So whatever Mm -hmm. that means to you, if it's, if it's, I believe in love, Mm -hmm. I believe in something, you know, like, I Mm -hmm. think that spirituality and being open to the world and the universe having some kind of meaning yeah and that we're very small and we're just pieces of a much larger bigger thing is helpful to remember when you don't get that damn audition and you feel like the world is ending it's not it's it's not. not and uh you know i think that maybe church in the way that it is for you is not what it is not my option totally but i do think that I've been able to create a community, a sense of like spiritual, you need to make a community and you need to find ways to have faith. And what I loved about being in Hamilton is that there was a prayer circle before every show. I love that. And, uh, you know, I, I'm going to be honest. I first started doing the prayer circle because it was in the way of me getting my wig on. (laughs) Okay. Got trapped. I didn't tell. Got trapped in the yes, circle. I got trapped in the prayer circle, and I didn't want to be rude. Like, get out of my way! Yeah, I gotta yeah, get yeah, my yeah, yeah. my white hair on. Yeah. <laughs> but it became a tradition for me because I'm not mm. used to praying. Not since high school. Someone since I went to a, sure. a Catholic high school before a show, praying in a circle. Mm-hmm. But it was this way for me to be present with my fellow castmates, to remember that each show is different, yeah. and at at a certain point when, you know, Christopher Jackson wasn't in the circle because he'd gone or mm-hmm. whatever, they people looked to me to start doing the prayer. <gasps> I just started really? saying my St. Ignatius High School prayer Aww. for generosity, which they thought was really funny. Um, not funny, but, you know, like they all are, you know, extemporaneously speaking from the heart. And I am <laughs> like, Lord, teach me to be generous. Teach me to serve you as you deserve. You know, hey, just listening my... Those are beautiful words I, too. Yeah, they are. But it, it, it's, it, you know, I did come from a place of faith. It's not, yeah. it, it's not what I practice mm-hmm. in my everyday right now because of who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is something that I still rely on. And I think it's important to discuss it as you go through this business because as you said it can sure rock your faith so you better find a way to stay grounded and and have faith and honestly that's having faith in in your family in Mm -hmm. your friends in Mm -hmm. i don't know you got to start even like I, i know that there are theater communities communities out here in LA that are that's their church you know Mm -hmm. that coming there and even just sweeping the stage for the next show or or doing a reading or reading a play with just the people there is is church for them yeah I I mean I, I in many ways I know that I really loved the community of church growing up and when I realized that that was not going to be my community anymore because Mm -hmm. I wasn't accepted Mm -hmm. for who I was Mm -hmm. that the theater really became much more important because that was my place to show up to. That was my home away from home. And when I moved to Los Angeles right out of college, I found a theater that was my, that was my community, my church, my home, the Falcon theater down the street from, from where we are now. So, um, it's, uh, it's an important aspect and I know that you have a really good, practice in your faith (laughs) i try um so you know what i just want to talk about back to you coming to this country Mm -hmm. and being surrounded by people by by that new experience and you you talked about going into theater and how that you know that meant so much to you and it really brought you out of your shell but what did it feel like to come to a new country. I, I mean, I guess I'm kind of just wanted to talk to Angela about this. And I, 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 I think that it's, it's gotta really have made you who you are, right? Like such a huge mm. portion of your life was not in the States. True. You know, that is a really good question. Um, there's one time this Singaporean director friend of mine, Che Yu, 
um, saw me in a show in Chicago, Chinglish, the one that we eventually brought to Broadway. Um, and I remember we had uh, lunch after he had seen me and he said one of the, the greatest things to me, which was, he was like, you know, you're very good, but you're very Singaporean. Hmm. Get rid of that Singaporean and you'll be better. And what he meant, what he meant by that was he went on to explain was that Singaporeans have a way of, oh, I don't want to diss the entire country of Singapore, but <laughs> that they're very hardworking people. Right. And they are very studied and learned people. So when you tell them how to do one thing, how to do it well, they want to do it well. Mm -hmm. Like they don't want to do any B work. It's always A work all the way. And I was definitely that student in Singapore. I, they rank you from like when you're in kindergarten. So, you know, I was like one top kid in my class or third in my class. Sometimes when you're third, it's like, oh, you know, I got to be one again. So you've known this since you were a child that you're ranked by how well you do. Hmm. And so what he was saying to me was I always, he always felt that I wanted to be right as an actor, that I wanted to make the right choices and like that I wasn't just being messy. And he was right. like, be messier, F like dare to fail as an actor, dare to make like crazy choices that may not be the, the what's on the page. And that, I mean, I love when there are people in your life that build you up and tell you good things, but I love criticism when it comes from a loving place right. so much more because these are the things that make us better. And that has always swum in my mind every time I do anything now. It's just like, well, am I, am I just being safe? Am I being a safe actor or am I? And that comes from even training. Like, you know what teachers like what from you. Sure. And you just know how to deliver that. But then I remember when we graduated Carnegie, it was like, oh my goodness, who am I? Yeah. And I'm 22, but at Carnegie, I was always playing Lady Macbeth or Arcadena from the Cherry Orchard. Yeah. And it's like, oh no, not Cherry Orchard, Seagull, Seagull, <laughs> Seagull. And it's like, I, I didn't know how to be 22. I was Uncle Vanya. <laughs> I remember you were so good too, you broke my heart. But that's the thing, it's like coming out and discovering who are you and it's a whole journey. Yeah, that. yeah no, I think that, uh, a conservatory type setting mm -hmm. is uh, you get so many wonderful tools such a great such great training mm -hmm. but I remember coming out of school and working uh, at, at Gary's Theater the Falcon Theater in the Troubadour Theater Company uh -huh. which is a clown company you know I mean we did we did uh, uh, musicals with uh, uh, pop music and, and Shakespeare so we did oh, like Hamlet the goodness. artist formerly known as Prince of Denmark that's amazing uh, yeah no they're they're did so you much do fun clowning at school? Yes. You yes. did. I didn't. Yeah. No, I took I took the clowning class because I really wanted you to. You really wanted to. But that's the thing is that there was a clowning class and you did it and it was great. But well, we weren't allowed to. Well, we. I it wasn't offered it to with us. You I I, yeah. I did it because I know we didn't we didn't weren't supposed to be able to do it. I took it like a couple years after. Yeah. We were supposed to, but but. I remember leaving school and going into this theater company and they would literally be like, if somebody messes up a line, we throw a foul flag and we say, you messed up, uh, foul on the play, start over. And I was like, <laughs> oh no, that's not how you do theater. Like this isn't <laughs> the box that I was told to stay within yes, and like the rules that I was given. Yes. I want to be doing all the rules that I just spent all this money and time yeah, learning how to do. and. Yeah. You realize that the best art, or just art in general, is when you break those rules, when yeah. you get outside of yourself and the, and make something new, and that's yeah. that's the whole point. So yeah. it is. It's hard, you know, whether you're in Singapore or <laughs> Carnegie Mellon or you know something yeah. structured that yeah. that tells you what's right and wrong. Like you said, you yeah. can't always just make the right choice. You have to make your choice. Your the choice. And I think also, like, there's the idea uh, that I had picked up from Singapore was to be the best. And mm. you quickly realize there is no best. No. You know, I was actually a reader for Tara Rubin um, for, a, for a long time while I was in New York. And that helped me so much, you know, as an actor to 
also get into those places because you see how amazing actors are right. and how many amazing people come in. Oh my gosh. And there's been so many times I wish actors knew this, that they leave the room and the directors are just like, ah, oh, they're so amazing. Give them some encouragement, which means that they're probably not going to get the role because right. they're not right for it in some way, but they're so good. Mm -hmm. And I've actually, I remember, well, I shouldn't divulge this maybe, but <laughs> there was one big Broadway show where there were two girls up for it. Both of them were amazing for the lead. And both of them were so different though. I mean, opposite ends of the spectrum. Hmm. And it came down to somebody in the creative team going, I like this girl's mouth. And I was like, oh. What? <laughs> it was like the shape of her mouth or something like that. But then at the end of the day, even after all that discussion about these two women, it went to a Tony winner. And it hmm. was like, Gosh, I wish those two girls knew how great they were. Right. It and didn't go to either of them. It didn't go to either of them. Mm -hmm. And I have a great story about Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Okay. About when I was a reader for him, when he was auditioning for, um, what is it, Glass Menagerie, Glass Menagerie at the Kennedy Center. Okay. And he came in, and we had been trying to cast this role for like months, months and months and months. And... I remember he came in and blew my, at first when he came in, I was like, oh, brother, like a Hollywood star that they, he didn't come in with a script or anything. He literally came in and lit a cigarette. Mm. <laughs> I was like, daring. But then he delivered this monologue and completely off book. He had just gotten the sides that morning and he just had it and he was just it. I was like, what is happening right now? Mm. He comes back and does a scene with me on the stage. And he off script again, just got the sides that morning, didn't have papers in his hand, and just, we were both like crying together on stage is how much he was just giving me. He was amazing. Wow. And the director at the end like jumped up and was applauding him, was like, that was the best audition I've ever seen. And he left the room and we had talked about how, and then all of a sudden the director was like, he's amazing. I can't cast him. I was like, what? After all this time, he literally gave the best audition I'd seen for that role. And he was like, I just don't know that people will believe him in that role. And I was like, oh, why? Like, why? Why do you think that? But then I, I was like, gosh, but he was the best. And somebody did come in and did a great job and ended up getting it. And he was great, too. But it was like, man, like even a person like Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who has all of these credits and all of these things, he was still amazing, but not right for the role. Right. And it wasn't anything that he could do about it. And I mean, he's fine now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I wonder, I hope that that gives actors some sort of encouragement that no matter how good you are in that room, sometimes it doesn't come down to that. It, you don't... Don't ever walk out thinking, oh, I just sucked and that's why I didn't get it. Or I guess I'm not good enough. I'm never going to be good enough. Right. Rarely ever is the case. Oh, it takes so many auditions, though, to like really embrace that or realize that. <laughs> because I remember getting auditions and call when I first graduated and be like, Mom, I got this audition for this thing. I can't wait. And then that I realized, oh, that's the worst thing you can do <laughs> is to like call somebody and say, you got an audition. audition. Then you go, you are like, you. that means you're fully invested in this audition. Like this is a point in your life that you're going to remember. Yeah. Well, even the auditions that I've gotten the jobs, I don't remember because you can't, you no. can't give them that kind of weight. No. It has to be just no. another moment of you practicing what you do. And, yeah. and, uh, and so many actors say like, Oh, that was the worst audition I ever gave, and then they book it. Right. And then some people say, I, I was amazing, I flirted, and they just don't hear getting, they don't even get a callback. And everybody in the room was responsive, they don't get a callback. Right. You know, it's like, yeah, that's just the way it is, and you just don't know what it is. It's better just to keep moving on and moving on, which is the hardest thing to do. I don't, but I don't uh, ask my agent to ever get information, follow-up, follow quote-unquote. I, I, I don't think it has a lot of value unless they were like mm -hmm. someone contact Rory we need to tell him he's doing everything wrong you know like what <laughs> like, 
Like, unless they, like, really feel like they need to say something to me about something. And they I usually will. Yeah. They? If, well, if they, in the room, if they feel like they need to say something to correct you or they are, like, want to, yeah. you know. You know, but if you're really wrong for it, they're not going to waste their time. But exactly. if, if an agent is calling and saying, hey, why didn't my client get this? Or what do you think's going on? Usually after a casting director has seen a hundred people yeah. and do that same, you know, five minute audition, oh God, yeah. how in God's name yeah. are they going to go back into their memory and give you an exact answer? Yeah. That's that's yeah. a really thought out, fully formed, you know, yeah. thing to say to somebody. Yeah. Uh, so you know, every time I have gotten it, I'm like, oh, that's not really helpful. Yeah, it's or, always like they were great. They just went another way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, or they do come up with something, and you're like, oh, that's not really something I can have control over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the look or or whatever. So you just kind of yeah. need to. You, I realize that if I want my agent to find out something that yeah. I'm giving it just too much weight and that I, that I need to figure out ways to walk out of an audition yeah. and not worry about it whatsoever. Yeah. Which is hard, but you oh, just have so to hard. figure out your way to do that. Yeah. That's like a goal for every actor. I think that is a goal. Oh yeah. That's <laughs> a survival, like, yeah. survival goal for yeah, sure. For sure. Yeah. But you, and you being a reader must've been so valuable and you worked with casting directors even in college you worked yeah, with a casting director and that is Simon. that has got to have really oh, given you such a amazing. good perspective yeah because that was the other side of it meg simon uh, cast for warner brothers for tv out in new york tv and uh no t just the tv side and that was interesting too to see like how actors that i saw on broadway that were amazing big actors sometimes the mistake that people make is they come into a room and they just Right. And it was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I can't hear you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. they just think that TV is this whole other beast. And I had to learn that too out here is that you can still make choices and active choices. And yes, you do see the sort of acting on TV that's like make no choices and just be beautiful and just like barely whisper your words. There are actors like that. But I think that the more interesting thing and being more interesting you is to actually have an opinion about stuff and stop imitating like what you're seeing works or doesn't work or whatever and like be you. Right. You just don't know that you yourself is that's the hardest thing to learn that you yourself is enough and I'm still learning it every day that like whatever choices you make is enough just because you didn't get it doesn't mean that you're not enough. That doesn't mean that like what you gave is crap and you need to figure out another version of you. Right. And um, I don't forget why I was going. Oh, because that's that's what I discovered with with Meg, that even some actors that would come in and just sort of be really easy and not make like huge choices, but they were still themselves right. somewhere in there. And it was really beautiful to look at and, and observe. Yeah. 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 And she what I love about her is that she's really tough on the actors that she loves. She will get an audition out of you. And really? there, there are so few like TV, uh, film casting directors that spend the time, and she does. Yeah, she definitely does. And she's amazing. She comes to talk to Carnegie Mellon students yeah. almost every year. I don't know if she still does, but. Yeah. I wasn't there when she came. Oh, no? I was in Russia. Oh. Uh, no, I don't remember anything. You don't remember that I went to Russia for it? Well, I do. I don't remember that a casting <laughs> you didn't director. didn't miss me? Of course, I just don't remember the schedule from 20 years ago. <laughs> remember that was when you guys did that, um, oh, Kiss of the Spider Woman. That's what you guys yes. did while I was gone. Yes, we did. <laughs> we sure did. Yes. That was something. I don't remember because I didn't see it. Yeah, yeah that was something. No, I, I regret that I didn't go away for a semester. would have been... A wonderful experience but it's I think that it was me being like no I'm at Carnegie Mellon I need to be in every class every day I need to you know yeah. I know that would be a good life experience but I'm not worried about life experiences right now I need to be an actor you know and that yeah. I think that like oof, that was the only time I could have done that and that is so good too for anybody that's like 
in college right now trying to major in this thing that everything i mean remember how seriously we thought college was and yeah. like our remember we protested the season <laughs> well they had a season that didn't have uh musicals or something en right enough roles yeah i think for everyone right and, and um or oh what had happened was because i was going away to russia they had made kiss of the spider woodman quote unquote for me mm -hmm. and because the the musical when i came back was going to be letters from letters nam, from nam which uh, there takes was place one in vietnam yeah. one female and she was the mother back at home yeah it would be Couldn't very be this Asian face. Yeah, it would I would be, be like some story. extra like that you're saving in the <laughs> <laughs> And so I would have graduated and I did graduate Carnegie Mellon as a musical theater major without without ever having done a musical. Right. And so you guys were amazing. Everybody was like fighting for me. And what was amazing is at that time it did feel like it's just travesty. Yeah. Like, ah, oh. and that's why I had to go away. In a way, I just was like, I need to escape all this politics, all this stuff. But looking back, I'm like, why did I take it so seriously? It's just college. It's yeah. just college. And yeah. that's the thing, like wherever you are in your life, it almost feels, feels like this is the most important thing. And if I don't do it or I don't get it, it means that it just ends. Yeah. And I remember something that you said in one of your other podcasts that it was over before you even began. I think it was about your leagues or something like mm -hmm. that, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, it isn't, it isn't. Nothing right. is ever over. Right. <laughs> it just feels like right. that. But it's never over. So no. college, whatever. Get what you need out of it. Yes, chill. Chill. Chill, chill, chill. chill. Even, wouldn't you say even Josh Gad, like, throughout, well, I don't want to say this, but you can cut this out. But, like, even throughout school, like, like people were trying to get him to, like, do better at Shakespeare, do better at Moliere or whatever. Mm. And he was always so true to himself. Right. He wrote all his own stuff, like, always just kept going back to who he was yeah and he came out and he's who he is now right because of who he is yeah like, no knowing who you are ugh. is the most valuable thing and and josh always always did yeah. and you know i think that we all did and we all you know i'm so proud of everybody who we went to college with yeah. and you know how how well everyone has done professionally and personally mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um it's a, it's a trying time being 18 to 22 in a school of drama. Mm. Lots of drama. Mm. Lots you know? of drama. And, oh, God, I feel like we're, like, bashing on Carnegie now, which is <laughs> totally not the case because... Well, I, it, we've always... I, I've always on this podcast talked about the conservatory experience. Yeah. And I think that it's a very challenging one, and it's just the nature of what those schools are. Yeah. I think if I could have done it all over again, I would have gotten a normal degree of something I would have experienced college life because God knows we didn't really have a college experience like we didn't not the norm not no the we norm. weren't going to football games or no. or uh, didn't even pledging know sororities no no or even any of the school like groups the student body yeah. like student yeah. group. no we were we didn't have time for any of pretty, that pretty pretty cut off yeah. from from that experience yeah. and you know like there's there's a lot of benefits professionally to the immersion benefits. experience of what Carnegie Mellon was. Yeah. I, I feel like the fact that I'm so close to so many people in that, in our class mm -hmm. and you know, it's given me a group of friends that, and that community that we keep talking about that exactly. you need. That's, exactly. I'm, I mean, I needed you guys. Exactly. I needed you. And, and exactly. everyone from that school has always been there for me. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that you need to, I, I I think that you need to really evaluate your options before you pick a school. Yeah. And that if you want to totally. study other things, that you should completely do, do it. it. You will have community and you can have, you know, there's just so many people yeah. that you get out into the business and they didn't all go through the, the system of conservatories. And yeah. you're like, oh, that, that must be interesting. You had a real college experience and... So many successful people just went and did a normal thing, and then they maybe got a, 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 a MFA, mm -hmm. you know, what, and that's probably what I would have done, because I think, I don't blame my professors for, like, this sort of thing where I was like, oh, I gotta be the best actor, I gotta be this, I gotta be that, I don't blame them, I think it's when you're 18 to 22, oh, yeah. that's all you know is Yeah, like but that. it's also, like... There was no stopping me, and people, no, did, people exactly. always There's said no said not to 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 do it. 
and to really do anything else if I could. And the truth is, I couldn't. Yeah, and I didn't want to wait to true. get an MFA. I didn't want to do that. I, I just wanted I to do this. And, and you know what? At the end of the day, we kind of, I think when we talk about getting a different degree or, you know, or these other things, they're all just like little fantasies. They're fantasies, they're, yeah. They, that this is our passion. And yeah. sometimes it's our indentured servitude of, <laughs> of like, this is what we have to do. Yeah. And there was just no way we could get around that. And I think you eventually learn the things that you would learn if you took another route. Like, I feel like everybody, I do believe that everybody learns the lessons that they need to learn in life. Yeah. If they're open to it. Yeah. You know? So. Well, I think that you are very open to it. And I really appreciate you speaking with me. Yeah. I love you. You're a phenomenal actress. <laughs> You're a wonderful person. And uh, I think it's, it's such a pleasure to get to speak to someone on this podcast that I've known for as long as I've known you because you know I forget that there's a microphone we've had these kinds of conversations many many times and I've relied on you in the past and I hope oh uh, I've relied on you Raya (laughs) Malley please you're like the most inspirational person in my life it goes both ways (laughs) and uh, I'm really happy for you and, and you'll be doing theater in Chicago and Los Angeles. What's yes. your play that you're doing? I'm doing The King of the Yees. That's going to start off at uh, the Goodman and is coming to the Kirk Douglas in yes. the summer. Yeah, Fantastic. She's amazing. The writer is amazing. So Good. I can't wait. All right. Well, I adore you. I love you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. This is fun. <laughs> Audition side job, swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.